right. Uh, welcome to episode number eight of the Tone Jerks podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gower, and with me today is... Kyle McIntyre. And... We have a... Jeff Belka. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're excited. Uh, we're in Jeff's studio today, so we're on remote location. It's a uh, yeah, on site today. Top top secret. Yeah, top, top secret. Top secret location. Don't ask us. Ask us. Don't ask. Don't <laughs> we'll, tell. We'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, before we started here, Jeff gave us a you know tour of his studio. It is a heck of a setup you got here. Thank you. I oh. uh, I have a lot of fun in it, and it's all just pure passion. Music is pure passion. You know. I mean, I without going off on a tangent here, I remember back in the early days when we were late teens and going into our 20s, we'd use bread clips for guitar picks. And we, and we, and <laughs> I think we'd, we've all done that in a bind. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd boil our strings because we couldn't afford to replace the acoustic guitar yeah. strings <laughs> on a guitar, so we'd boil them uh, you know, to clean them, to put them back on again, because money was tight, tight, oh, yeah. tight, you know. You're doing, you're doing it for the love. The yeah. Love, love ab- of the craft. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's also enjoyable to meet different people. Uh, musicians yeah. are interesting, uh, souls. Very interesting. Specimens. Yeah. Well, specimens. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Um, before we even got started, just like, you're a guy who's passionate about what you do, and we're talking, or I'm happy to, you know, have you on i'm happy that you know that you wanted to have us here so i'm gonna like, we'll ask you a couple questions but you know feel sure. free to you know t- tell us you know some tangents tell us some stories we're all about it well so, if i go off too far just take the clipboard and clap it because <laughs> I, sometimes i have a tendency to go off on bizarre I'll do, things i'll do, do my best to drive here but all right <laughs> all right um so um do you want to maybe go a little bit about your musical background like what you do and how you got into music? What what what? When did the music bug bite you? Um, I was probably fourteen, and my brother, who's eighteen months older than me, he was he was more of a musician. I was a, a GI Joe kind of kid. I I loved to play with, uh, you know, things like that and fantasize. And my brother was a little more serious, and he started playing instruments, and he got into the bass of all things, uh, and and. The first songbook I was ever exposed to was uh, Bob Dylan. Uh, it was all of his songs, uh, and as a matter of fact, I still have it in the rack over there. But it's nice. it's where I first understood a G chord from a D chord from a C chord, and so forth and so on. Um, and it was uh, about then when I, but I never took it serious. It was just something I would play around with. Uh, it wasn't until I got into my Oh, mid twenties that I started taking music serious because I met a fella that was an incredible songwriter, and he was um, actually when America came out and the Eagles were already out, but America and the acoustic audio, the the acoustic music scene of the late sixties into the early seventies was really coming. Poco, uh, America, uh, Firefall, all these bands mm-hmm. that were doing incredible harmony structures with acoustic guitars as the forefront instrument. Um, and Ron, who I still work with, uh, was writing that kind of music. And he was the first musician that was actually a real musician for yeah. the lack of a better word, and a real songwriter. Cause I never understood structure. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a bass, 
rhythm section. Were you uh, kind of like self-taught? You kind of just kind of picked it I up? Did, I did. I uh, did. I never went to school for uh, instrumentation. I went to school for engineering. Yeah, there you go. But uh, but as far as being a musician, I became, uh, for the lack of a better word, a roadie Klingon yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to Ron and his band. And I would just sit there fascinated while they would practice and he'd bring in new songs and the way it was arranged and organized. And then he went into the studio. It was Studio West up in Kearney Mesa. I don't know if it's still there. I think it's in, uh, maybe it's a different one, but Rancho Bernardo, I think they're... Okay. That was the first time I was ever exposed to a real recording studio going into this awesome feel because a recording studio has this awesome feel. It's dead and it's cool. And in this case, it was all wood and isolation booths and the Mm -hmm. console there and everything. And and it just, and they had a real echo room, not echo digital units because back then digital wasn't really that big yet. It hadn't, I mean, the digital domain wasn't, but, um, a real echo room where you could go in there and it sounded like a choir of angels. You nice. Know, you know, it was incredible. That's when the bug hit me for uh, engineering. I'm going, I want to know how this ticks. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So uh, that's basically where I started on that field. And then for years I played with a couple friends in Chula Vista and we did local gigs and stuff, but we were pretty horrible. <laughs> I didn't know how horrible we were because I was doing it and wasn't recording it. But you, you, you were in it, and you're like, man, we are killing it right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> we are so good, and our harmonies were so horrid. Uh, you know, it's amazing we didn't get hit with bottles or something, you know. But <laughs> but eventually, over time, uh, I stayed very close to Ron. He's probably the best thing you could say, BFF, which sounds kind of quirky for 64-year-old men, but... We've been the closest of friends for years and years. There's nothing wrong with that. Kyle's yeah. my BFF. Yeah, well, good for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's it's great to have somebody that you that understands you uh, and puts up with your nonsense. Yeah, especially you know? like in music, it's like having somebody that you connect with is a really yeah, big thing. Exactly, exactly. So oh, eventually, Brian. or you get along with, you know, you got to because at least get yeah, along with. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're like brothers. We got <laughs> we love hate. Well, brothers beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> You're I, I, a lot I, bigger than he is. Though, yeah, but, <laughs> but you yeah. hold your own, right? Yeah. I don't look like much, but you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a scrapper. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, um, I went from being uh, a roadie to Ron had problems in his marriage and he moved in with me in an apartment in Chula Vista and he had a whole new batch of songs and I learned them and I started playing with him and and I started doing harmonies behind him and Gary the bass player really didn't accept me. He, Were you a um, guitar and vocals? Yeah, okay. uh, basically rhythm guitar. Nice. You know, I had uh, I I I fell in love with John Denver. Mm-hmm. And so I had to have a guild 12 string yeah. <laughs> so I uh, when I and I was working up in L.A. for a little while, and I went into um, um, oh doggone it, what's the big music store? West Wind, uh, West West Wind, uh, West. Anyway, there's a big music store up there, uh, uh, and uh, they had this Guild Two One Two XL big jumbo box twelve string. It looked just like John Denver's. So you're I like, bought you're, it. You're like, that's mine. Yeah, I bought it. <laughs> it's like the Wayne's World it, moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you take oh. cash? Huh? Do you take cash? Yeah, do you take... Anyway, uh, so I eventually started playing with Ron. And Ron and I and Gary uh, became a trio. Uh, and we and there was a thing called San Diego Songwriters Association back in the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. And they and we got hooked up with that, and they got us gigs. 
because it was difficult to do gigs uh, when you're doing original music. Yeah. You know. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. They everyone wants to hear copy stuff, I guess, you know. Yeah, the covers. So we 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 gigged around town for a little while and uh, that that happened for a while, but we mo- more than anything else love to get behind the microphones or behind the console in the studio. It was just a passion of yeah. making music, painting that picture. Yeah, uh, you know, is what basically what you're doing. You're painting an audio picture when you're recording in a yeah. studio, and there's nothing more gratifying than doing that. Yeah, you know, and creating it from nothing to something and having it finished, and you know, and, and doing it right. Yeah, sometimes almost like even when like you're working in my, you know, like in my DAW here, it's almost like you're creating visuals with, you know, sonic, you know, n- you know, waveforms and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, we're like creating something here i'm like i can see it coming together on my computer at least for me that that is cool the digital domain has created that we're now in for the longest time you know we think you know who cares about that you know we're listening but all of a sudden we rely on those waveforms yeah on on the uh in the software yeah i mean a lot of times we go okay this is where we're going to come in okay look at right there there's a there's the point where the mistake was made yeah you know click you popped you hit hit right right here exactly so and so it really does help. Yeah, yeah. I it, guess you know. maybe, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but uh, that one I want to take it to the next. I'm like, so you started like recording. Were you pl- you you were gigging at the same time that you went to school for recording, or actually, at the same actually, time? what happened is as uh, we played for a while in that, and because Ron was a songwriter, yeah, and you know, and you don't write um, assembly line. At least most people don't. Some people do, but for a while, and then there's. And plus, he had growing pains with his family. He had two kids and a wife, and they had a lot of problems in and out and everything. They kind of moved up north to a different part of the county, and so we lost kind of lost touch musically. And everybody went their separate ways. But I, I, I had reached a point where I wanted to start writing. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to start writing. So I went out and I bought myself a Tascam four-track cassette multi-track. Uh, you know, it was basically a rack mount cassette deck, but you could record four tracks on okay, a cassette yeah. tape. Like, that's all I need. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, I thought, oh my God, this is the most incredible thing in the world. It was the most horrible sounding thing you ever heard. It was just pure tape hiss. Yeah. And every time you recorded, the hiss got twice as loud. Yeah, well, and of course, <laughs> then you'd flip on the Dolby and everything would turn into this way because you couldn't hear anything anymore because it filtered out all the highs, yeah. all the hiss, but it filtered out all the highs. But yeah. it was enjoyable uh, and I got into engineering to a point where I wanted to do it, so I built a PA system. And at the time, PV was a pretty big brand back then. Yeah. And so I stacked up. I had a Triamp system, several thousand watts of power, and a 24-track console, and put nice. together effects gear and microphones and everything, and got hooked up with uh, a couple bands around town doing sound. Uh, as an audio engineer and then i started taking recording engineering classes i would go to studios um and take classes and learn uh, you know that kind of stuff and then i went out to southwestern to the recording okay. uh, you know engineering out there to understand audio from that point of view and it was interesting because sometimes when you learn stuff you go, oh, I don't like this anymore because I know too much about it. That may sound like a weird paradox, but uh, sometimes that happens. It's when like you, hot dogs. When you, know? you 
Yeah, you love <laughs> them you until go. you know what's in them. There. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like yeah, you you know you don't want to know how like the yeah the, I mean, the cheese you, is made. Yeah, exactly. And that's the same thing with audio. If you get so deep into it that you understand it to a level, it, it takes the joy out of it. But not for me. Well, it's it, like yeah, it's it like, made it's like it Pandora's more. box, but in a good way. You yeah. like you're like I I know so little now. But now I have this far to go to get to where right. I want to the be. More you, the more you know, the less you know. Yeah. And, and it's like that, that's turned around, but, but that's exactly true. And uh, the first time I heard the term DC to light uh, was just opened my eyes and my brain that the lowest frequency is DC, flat line, mm-hmm. and light, the speed of light is the highest frequency. And all along that whole wavelength is audio is in there okay. and there's visual light and so forth and so on. And so down here in this tiny little segment from 20 Hertz to 20 K 20,000 Hertz is what we hear. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. a baby hears. we don't hear anything near that. Now our ears are half gone, but yeah, uh, I guess like, don't you like lose a lot of your hearing by like, yeah, about, five? we we're lucky if we probably still hear 16, 17, yeah. uh, I've taken pretty good care of my hearing, but, uh, you just, you, you start losing some of the high frequency. And uh, the mid frequency, which is where your voices, where voices are, mm-hmm. is usually what goes first because that's the we hear that the loudest. We're more sensitive in that, and so that's what gets damaged when you're listening to loud music and stuff like that. Yeah, but I'm going off on a tangent, guys. No, no there's nothing wrong. Wear <laughs> earplugs. We never. Yeah, and that's great. Even our drummer wears earplugs. He puts the earplugs in, puts the headphones on. Yeah, really. So you know, for uh, you know, for the talk yeah. back. And I think, wow, that's interesting. It's good, you know, that he's doing that. And we, I keep a sound meter here, so I keep it around between 85 and 90 dB because mm-hmm. you don't want to mix anything over that because then it sounds unnatural out there in the real world. Are you just kind of like exhausting your ears for no reason? Well, too, right? if you if you turn it down too low, you don't get the dynamic feel of the bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've heard the term Fletcher Munson curves? No. What okay. is that? Well, Explain, at, please. At the Fletcher Munson curse, when the phone company, they did a, uh, they, fi- they financed a research project to understand how human beings hear. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, the scientists Fletcher and Munson were the scientists that did the study and discovered that humans hear 20 hertz to 20K hertz. And, uh, and if you look at, a, you know, the old graphic equalizers, the smile. Yeah. The lowest frequency and the highest frequency. Well, 20 hertz and 20K hertz have to be amplified 1 million times to be the same level as 4K. Oh, wow. That's how our ears hear. Okay. And so that's in the in the, in the late 60s, 70s, and into the 80s, they had a loudness switch on stereos. And all that did was boost the 20 and the Okay, yeah, I've 20K. seen that. And I, did, I just thought it was like, yeah, I'm going to push that. And what it <laughs> does is it just boosts the lows and the highs. It basically gives you that smile in the graphic equalizer. Uh, you know, in the old days. Um, yeah, I mean, for a guitar, that's usually like more of a pleasant sound to hear anyways. is more of like a mid-scoopy kind of thing. So I just, I didn't know if that was like really translated to a lot to audio too. Yeah, that's that's basically what the loudness switch did. It, it, it makes it, people like your band more when you yeah. do that. <laughs> well, that's because you don't hear the lows and the highs. Yeah. And, and, with, and the problem is, is if you just leave it flat and turn it up, the mids are so loud, loud, it hurts your hearing. That's where you hear that that pain in your ears and that shrill biting mm-hmm. is four, five, six k being amplified to the point where it hurts your ears. You know, so you want to not necessarily turn it down, but you want to turn the others up around it. But came coming out of that Fletcher Munson thing was that 
human beings hear audio flat at around 100 to 110 dB. That's when everything is flattest, mm. if it's all equal. Problem is you can't listen to it at 110 because your ears are going to lock down and damage them eventually. What they discovered is if you mix it around 85, it's a good compromise from not being loud enough to being loud enough that it will sound good out there in the real world at different levels. Ideally, if you could mix it 100, 105, it would be much flatter out in the real world, but it's not it's not reasonable to do that because your ears lock down. It's so. uncomfortable to listen to. Exactly. Yeah. And you damage your ears, and after a while, you just don't hear much, and you keep turning it up, turning it up. Yeah. So, so we always keep a sound meter, and we take breaks. Nice, yeah. A lot of breaks to let our ears calm down, you know, because you can slowly creep the volume up, so... Anyway, I sorry I got no, off. No, no, that's those good. Tangents. I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, We're like, learning I'm hanging stuff. on every word here. <laughs> so, all right, um, I gotta, I guess, like, what is your cur- current recording setup? Maybe if like you can give like a, a quick, okay, deal of like what, what's, what's like, what do you have currently? Give us what, a what rundown. You, yeah. Okay. So basically, uh, the console's PreSonus. Mm-hmm. It's uh, two thirty-two AIs, and AI is active integration. And what that is is, um, each console is a digital console, and the fact that they run at eight hundred FireWire for all of you computer freaky guys that know what that means, <laughs> it means it's hauls butt. Okay, the, the data hauls butt. Yeah. And because they haul, that moves so fast, you can plug two of them in together and it becomes one big giant console. So basically I have 64 uh, sliders available for doing mix down. And most of the guys today are so used to using a computer, it doesn't bother them to go page after page. They could have six on the display and then go to another six. Mm-hmm. I come from the analog world. Yeah. And I'm used to having buttons and dials in front of me yeah and it's uncomfortable to have to page down and page down and page down so when i discovered presonus which is kind of a hybrid between analog and digital yeah um i fell in love with it so that's why uh and so i got two of those put them together um i have a uh a mac uh for running the software and i have uh actually i have another monitor so and what I have is I have um, the console is automated, everything except the sliders. And so I have Universal Control, which is a PreSonus software that communicates between Studio One, which is PreSonus's Pro, uh, Pro Tools. That's your your DAW, right? Right, that's my DAW. And um, what what it is is the console is basically automated, so I can either use the computer to adjust EQs and pans and volume levels and all that stuff or i can use the console so i can go either way analog uh, in that sense having buttons to turn or use the computer and um and i just naturally progressed to studio one because uh when you buy the console they give you yeah a, a copy of it of artist which is the beginning version of studio one they had a deal at a time where when if you bought one of their consoles you could upgrade to the uh studio one pro which is what studios which all the big guys use yeah so i was able to get that and so which was really cool because it's way more powerful way more powerful and then of course i have a, a decent set of monitors um 
Very interesting story there about the monitors. Yeah, you have you, two sets. You got JBL and what's the... Yeah, Presonus. Okay. Um, I I won't name their name because it would be uh, unfair to the company. Uh, but I I decided, uh, and these, the Presonus uh, monitors are really good. They, they're real detailed. They're not really expensive, but um, I discovered that lots of money doesn't necessarily mean better. Yeah. Because what I did is I decided I wanted to get a set of really good professional studio monitors. So I spent a lot of money on a set of studio monitors, got them in here, and we mixed a couple songs, and all the guys called me back and says, this sounds like shit. Oops, sorry. Yeah, you can curse. It's fine. Okay, <laughs> this sounds like shit. What'd you do? And I said, I didn't do anything. And we <laughs> went back and reevaluated, and... um. And the, what came back and says, well, you got to tune your room to the speakers. And I go, no, wait a minute. You're telling me that I've got to make these brand new monitors sound like my inexpensive monitors? <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why would I tune the uh, really expensive monitors to sound like the other ones? I'll just get rid of the expensive ones. So they took them back. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the company I do business with, I don't know if I can mention their name. You can but, say okay. whatever. Sweetwater is a great place they to buy. They are awesome. Yeah. That's where I, mean, I got Free my... shipping, no taxes. And sometimes they send you candy, Candy, right? too. Oh, every every That's time I, I get something, about. I get a bag of candy. Tootsie Rolls and Laffy Taffy yeah. and... Uh, a bit of honey. bit of honey. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, to, to me, I like they like excel in customer service, too. Um, one they thing, do. one they thing do. I love is like, you know, cause they'll, you know, the guy will call me. He's like, Oh, you know, how's that working out for you? Cause he'll see that it shipped and got to my house. I'm like, sometimes I don't have the time to like pick it up. And I'm like, Oh, well I'm going to call him back and tell him it's working out great. Well, thanks for, you know, calling up and following up. Cause like there's some companies there's, they try and make like their internet domain, like a, fa- a face to it, like a name to it. Like yeah. you can call them and talk to them and, yeah. and, and work things out and for They, uh, their pricing is amazing. And, and they will, even with their pricing, they will actually come down if you can prove that somebody's charging yeah. less, even with the fact they don't charge taxes and they don't charge shipping. Uh, Ron bought a Kurzweil keyboard, yeah, a big 88 wow. uh, uh, key keyboard, and we got it here, and one channel was making a weird bunch of hiss and everything out of it and everything, and there's nobody around here to fix them. Yeah. So, And it was about two months after we got it, they uh, they shipped him another one here, and we took the old one and put it in the box and shipped it back to him. And they didn't charge him. Now, obviously, if we wouldn't have shipped it back, they were going to charge him. Yeah, but, they probably probably. Wouldn't but have but the thing is, up. is they're that they're that <laughs> cool about yeah. that. They're really cool about that stuff. You know. Yeah, I had like uh, yeah. they're the ones who took the monitors those, back. Those are expensive keyboards. They are, and they have incredible sounds. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, one of the things I've uh, tried to get ron to do is download some uh sound packages uh mm-hmm. from uh you know third parties and he doesn't he he's worse than i am when it comes to dealing with uh the digital domain yeah. and i said it's real simple ron you you plug the keyboard into the computer your laptop yeah all your sounds are in the keyboard uh, in the laptop you take that out and go into the console and re-record okay you just store all those packages of all those audio sounds because one of the things we really want to get into is doing big orchestration things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with every violin, every cello, every uh, oboe, every timpani, and everything really? all on separate tracks because we have the power to do that. Yeah. Whether or not we do it more than once, I don't know. <laughs> when you get up to 100 tracks or something like that, that can be nightmarish. But uh, it's also incredible to have that kind of power. Yeah. It's if, amazing. If, if you, it's better to, 
you know, have it and not need it. Yeah, you can always you can always take them into subgroups or something if you need to do something like that. And we've done that with some of the vocals, you know. So, but, okay. uh, um, so do you have a lot of uh, outboard gear that you're using, or are uh, you kind of doing a lot of digital stuff now? Uh, well, the console's pretty powerful. It has really good digital reverbs and digital delays. Um, that's the nice thing about having the two separate consoles hooked together. Even though it's one big console, there's two digital reverbs in the... Uh, what we call the slave and the master. I know that's probably a bad thing to say this day and age, but yeah. it's, uh, no, there's no you know, connotation here. That's just what they call it. That's what they're yeah. called, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the master has two reverbs, two digital delays. The slave has two masters or two um, reverbs and two digital delays, and they work independent. So basically I have four reverbs, but I also have some outboard reverbs. Because we use a lot of uh, reverbs for vocals and stuff, and we do a lot of vocals. Well, we'll have uh, three-part vocals, the lead vocal and two harmonies, and then three oohs and ahs going on, and maybe some answer-back vocals. I'm, so I'm, all, I'm all about the oohs and ahs. Yeah. We, we, yeah. we love the oohs and ahs. So uh, sometimes we have as many as nine, ten vocals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the thing is, is the more reverbs you have, the less cluttered it gets, because if you dump too many vocals into one reverb, you lose some of the control of it. Yeah. Ideally, I'd love to have a reverb per vocal. Per, per track, yeah. Per track, right, exactly. And then um, I just dug out of storage that old Roland uh, digital reverb, that S SRV 2000. Um, it's old, but in the old days, Roland's equipment was quiet. Mm -hmm. It had no residual noise back in the... Uh, I don't know how it is today. I have no idea. But it's uh, it still works really well, and so I've added that reverb, and I have a couple of Yamaha... Uh, little reverbs that i use for drums right here two little rack mount oh nice digital reverbs they i use i use the the less expensive being kind i don't want to say cheaper you know but for, for things like yeah, percussions yeah. and stuff like that that you don't have to worry about the uh you know the timber of the vocals and yeah. stuff you know vocals well, I try it's to, the drummer right yeah. It, yeah, it's the drummer. You know? What does he get? <laughs> are you running those before you get to the DAW, or are you kind of doing no, it No, no, I, I record everything. Everything dry? You know, the only thing it's not recorded dry is the electric guitar. Uh, Mike uh, has his sound. Yeah. And whatever is on that is what is on it. Yeah. Uh, but as far as everything else, uh, I, I don't like, I don't believe in recording with reverb on the snare or something like that because you have no control later. Yeah. I'd rather add it later uh, and, and have more control of it that way. Um, so that's basically the, um, like I said, just the lead guitar is probably the only thing that's really processed, or the keyboards. Yeah, if it's a, you know if it's a, a specific sound in the yeah. keyboard. Are you going um, any like preamps or compression or is that? Um, I use uh, the console has really good compressors. Nice. Uh, I don't have any rack mount compressors. Like an idiot, I sold all my DBX-160s a few years ago. Sure wish I had them now, <laughs> but somebody's enjoying all six of them. So. Oh, jeez, <laughs> that's a lot. Well, that was when I had my old studio. I had uh, a, a bunch of compressors and uh, gates. I never understood gates. I do now, mm -hmm. but I never understood gates uh, back in the day. Uh, they're an important tool if you know how to use them. If you don't have, know how to use them, you can ruin sound. You know, you can make it sound horribly yeah, artificial you can or really, you can cut it off. Really you know? choke it off. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, the console has really good gates, and so there's 64 channels, so there's 64 gates, 64 compressors, 
64 band, uh, four band parametric EQ. So it's, uh, and it's all active. It's very powerful. The console is very powerful. Rack mount gear. I don't have a lot because I don't need it. Uh, but, um, eventually I'll probably get some more delays. Okay. Uh, but the one thing that I want to spend some money on is a couple really expensive mic pre's. Um, not because I want to brag about expensive. I hate the idea of spending a yeah. lot of money, but there is something about really good mic pre's mm-hmm. and the console has really good pre mic pre's. That was the thing personas was most famous for before they did anything was their mic pre's or their, uh, uh, electronic. They're not tube pre's, but I want to get a couple really good mic pre's for trying with the vocals and stuff like that so uh but the biggest thing is my mic closet that's the thing uh that is the most important that's kind of your go your your bread and butter yeah it is and unfortunately i i own every hundred dollar microphone there is that's any good yeah the next step is two thousand three (laughs) thousand you know because that's that's what you got to go to SE is right now Rode and SE are my two go-to microphone brands. Mm-hmm. Um, SE and Rode both, I think SE maybe a little more, have done a great job of going and without sounding terrible, reverse engineered Sennheiser and uh, Neumann. Yeah. And they have some incredible microphones. Yeah. Uh, I've seen SE has a lot of like brand new mics that are like dynamics that kind of rival con- yeah. you know condensers you yeah. know this this is the one i just got this is an sm57 but it's a hell of a lot better i got this the v7x that's yeah. what we're looking at here yeah this is the se uh and it's um they have a v7 for vocals live vocals mm-hmm. i don't need any uh dynamics for vocals because we do condensers in the studio yeah. But this is this uh, this VL7 is re-engineered for uh, instrumentation. So I want to try it on the the amps, the guitar amps, the electric guitar amps, and All if right. it works. And the other place I want to because like, my whole kit, drum kit, or I should say Mike's drum kit. <laughs> that's the electric guitar. He owns it. Um, I have 57s on everything, okay, it, yeah. except the kick drum, the overheads, and the uh, the hi hat. Uh, and then of course I have a little bitchin' little Sennheiser. Uh, actually, it's an AKG, a little miniature AKG condenser on the top of the snare, and then I have a fifty-seven under, and all the toms are fifty-sevens, and they're they're the workhorse, the go-to mic. Yeah, yeah. But, I got like at least four. Yeah, because they're just kind of like good for guitar, good for whatever. Yeah. If these work, eventually I'll replace all the fifty-sevens with these because they're super cardioid, which mm-hmm. is bitchin'. They don't hear anything back here. Which will help isolate the drums when you're mic. Oh, that's perfect. Eleven or twelve mics on the drums. It's real hard to get, you know, isolation. So definitely. So and that's basically what's going on with the um, with my outboard gear. Um, I have some really nice Taylor acoustic guitars because mm-hmm. I love Taylor guitars. It's wonderful that they're made here in San Diego. It's an eight fourteen on the wall right there, right? Uh, yeah, you know it. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, and I have a six eighteen, which is a big giant maple uh uh you know it's not even a doesn't cutaway. have the cutaway yeah yeah it's loud I, and the nice thing is because it's a big jumbo box even though maple's bright it's got 
bottom when you hit the e string you can feel it resonate through your whole body mm -hmm. it's uh uh it's the most of everything's upstairs because we just got back from texas and i basically gutted the studio and put it in a safe place while yeah. i was gone but um i that's a nice guitar it's really beautiful it's not a hard strumming guitar mm -hmm. it's more of a finger picking and light recording it's a great overdub guitar but for playing live gigs with hard strumming i used uh, the 618 nice yeah uh, it's a really nice guitar yeah I, I always like the 14 series i have a i have a 10 series like a 410 oh you have a couple taylors i just have one i have oh, a 410 okay. uh cutaway electric one yeah and i it was like the one where i'm like if i'm gonna buy an acoustic i'm gonna invest in a real acoustic you know so i'm like yeah. okay you know 400 series it's not like you know they're not in the front of the class, yeah, not the back. The, the I'm kind of in the middle. Is, uh, yeah. The thing that uh, Bob Taylor did, and I guess Andy has taken over, but the 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 world of Taylor guitars is really Bob when he came up with the bolted on neck. Everybody said, you can't do that. You can't bolt a neck on an acoustic guitar. It'll never sound great. The thing is, is you can take any Taylor out of the box, yeah, and they stay in tune and they play so damned easy. Yeah, they did a really good job of you know. I mean, they mass produce beautiful guitars any way <laughs> yeah. you look at it. You know, that's that, and that that's wonderful. So uh, I could be a commercial for Taylor. I guess yeah, I should we, we, that we, we should we should try and get them. Any as other a, local a, uh, as a brands that you like? Any other like? Um, I don't know if there's. Uh, I mean, I have um, my DIs, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know where they're made. These mini cubes. Nobody makes them anymore. I had those back in the old days, and they're 48 volt. I like active DIs. I don't like passive DIs because uh, you get a little more oomph out of yeah. active uh, DIs, you know, running them with 48 volt. But um, the ones that I really like the most are the radials. Hey, do you know the brand radial? Yeah. You, uh, I know. Okay. He does. They, yeah. uh, <laughs> they make really good DIs. DI they make all kinds of really cool box, uh, yeah. uh, little uh, boxes. You know. Yeah, they do a lot of like uh, pedal switchers too, which is do actually they? really cool. Oh, okay. yeah, kind of One like... of the things I'm interested in is they have a series that you plug. It, it actually, uh, if your amp... Oh, sorry. I'm, I, I'm getting too comfortable. I leaned back too far, didn't I? No, you're good. All right. I need a lounge chair in here. Um, <laughs> if you have your amp, your electric amp in another room, and you run, even if you run a balanced cable to it, um, it's still, you lose a little coloration. Uh, they have a series which is basically two, they look like DI boxes. One of them, you plug the guitar into it. It sends it down balanced and takes it back out and plugs it into the amp. And it supposedly, uh, you can adjust it so it sounds like there's no cable in between. You can go 50 feet. Okay, yeah. Uh, is it like a buffer kind of thing? It's, it's basically, I think it's, uh, it's just, it takes the cable distance out of the picture. So it's like plugging your guitar right into your amp sitting there with you. Hmm. It's um, And I'm, I'm interested in getting a set of those. I've asked Mike about it, and he says, ah, oh, it's no big deal because the amp is right on the other side of that wall. Yeah. So just a standard twenty foot cable goes through the wall and plugs into the amp, so yeah. it's no big deal. It's like two, three feet. Yeah. So I. It, but again, that's one of those things. Do I need it? Yes. Yeah. Do I I'm, want I'm, it? I want it more than I need yeah. it. So, like, so like I don't. I don't need. I got to justify it. I like, got to justify. I, it. I might need it, but you know, I better get it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Just in case, right? Yeah. That's the problem with the addiction. I think that's with, like with me, the equipment with like everything because I'm like I'm like gotten to. A spot where i'm like kind of like with guitar pedals because i'm like ah, 
I've gotten to like really redundancy with some of the things. I'm oh, like, really? oh, I have like two chorus pedals. Ah, might as well keep them. I got like three phaser pedals. I'm like, ah, well, might as well keep them. And then like cables, I'm like, you're always gonna need cables. Oh yeah, I have like yeah. cables for days. I'm like, right. I, like even like adapters that I'll never use. I'm like, I better keep it because yeah. <laughs> you never know. I'm like, yeah, like a you know you know fifty foot speaker cable, I might need that. <laughs> I, uh, I that's one thing that I've slowly let go because everything's active now. All the uh, speakers have amps in them, so you can run balanced lines, or uh, you don't have to run power cable. You know, you don't have to run 16 or uh, 14 gauge speaker lines anymore. You just run an audio line to it. So you can just use microphone cables. But um, the old days of speaker cables with the quarter inch jacks, you know, coming from an amplifier, the amps inside the the speakers these days, I guess that's where everybody's going. And I guess live people are going away from floor monitors. Everybody's doing ear stuff. Yeah, now, in-ears right? are, are a big yeah. thing. I That's something I haven't really gravitated towards yet. I'm you like, still use floor monitors? Floor monitors or no monitors. Yeah, we've had it where like the club can't dial in and they're just feedbacking the whole time. We're like, oh. cut it. Oh, yeah, cut yeah. It. So, so we tell the sound guy, like, cut well, our floor we monitors. We our earplugs and we have our amps can go louder. You know, we can... We can hear ourselves most of the time. And it's like, yeah. For, oh, like, okay. Like we, we okay. like not that we're amazing musicians. But yeah, we played it along. Yeah, we we long enough we, like, we can more or less. Can't think of a better way to describe it. Feel each other more than like we need to hear each other and and not like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's when a band is together. When a group of guys are together and they can look at each other and understand that there's nothing better than that. That's incredible. That's the way you know Ron and Gary and I were. We could feel what we needed to do and you you just know it you know and that's a wonderful feeling a lot of people don't understand that they don't understand there's more going on between the guys that have been together for a long time Mm -hmm. and i think we rehearse enough to know yeah and we kind of know like where to pick up the slack or okay the guys know where to pick up my slack (laughs) as a guitar player like the rhythm section can fill in the voids and stuff like that and that's one thing that I, i really like like i'm like I want to hear. I want to have a monitor, but if it's not there, like it's not, it's not the end of the world. And then in ear monitors, to me, I'm like, just another thing that can go wrong because yeah. you've you've you know been playing live too. You know, like things can go wrong. A live situation is always like. Yeah, it would seem to me it'd be more difficult to to communicate the mix in, he- in headphones. I don't know. I've never used them, so I don't know. But um, I was when we were in Texas, we were at a venue. There was um, Charlie Pride. Uh, he's a, a an old country guy from the past. Uh, he's like most of us. He's past his prime, but he's still a great musician. Yeah. They were setting up for the gig, and I was sitting in there just in the afternoon while my wife was shopping around the town. I was doing the more important thing and watching the engineers set up the audio. Yeah. <laughs> That's m- way more important than shopping. Um, they were using um, a, a system like this where... Um, the, you can actually each player can control through his smartphone his mix. Yeah, no, I've seen that. And I and and the, and the one guy's walking around with an iPad, and he's going and he's adjusting everything. And I'm thinking this is incredible, but you got to have people that know how to do this. Yeah, I mean it's one thing. It's like to, four more people you have to pay. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> one. It it's one thing to have a console sitting there and somebody saying, "I need more of my kick drum in the monitor." Okay. Uh, you know, uh, the kick drum's too loud in the bass player's headphones, but it's not loud enough in the uh, lead guitarist, you know, so so all of a sudden it gets much more complicated, but it's powerful. It's yeah. really powerful. I think you know? with, with, like, that whole thing, like, the less, 
I dabble in that, the better. Because like, I know I'll just like get so nitpicky about it. And I'm yeah. like, because I've played a club before. They're not around anymore. They were downtown San Diego. So they were like brand new. They had that whole setup where it's like, oh, guess what? We have, you know, iPads. And they had like a guy on stage. They had the guy in the booth. They had like two people, you know, like kind of by the drums and doing all this sound. I'm like, wow, that's really intricate. I'm like, we're a punk band. We don't, I don't, you know. I don't care. I'm like, just as long as my bass is coming through the system, I don't, you know, I filled in bass for a band. So I was like, whatever, just put the bass through. And I'm like, just as long as there's power going to the amp, then I'm fine. And my cables don't go out. That's all I need to know. And the guy's like, oh, what about this? Do you want to EQ? I'm like, no, I don't, I, I don't need any of it. It's, 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 I guess it's different when you have a six, seven, eight piece band. Um, and the sound is much more complex per se, if you mm-hmm. want to call it that, uh, as opposed to a three piece where it's much easier to control because you have, uh, but it's, it, I mean, it's still complex. You got a, you have a bass, you have a lead guitar, you have two or three vocals and you have the drums. And I don't know how far you guys go on miking your drums when you're live. Do you, you do the kick drum and the it's, snare or it's definitely, or do you all it depends them? on the club yeah. the venue. Oh, okay. It's, yeah. it's usually up to them. We don't really, Oh, okay. We don't ever really even play with like a writer or have anything that's like, oh, this is like our stage plot. It's like sometimes we'll play and it's like everybody's staged front because the stage is so small. Or like, oh, okay. Yeah. So in like, a case like that, you really don't need monitors. We're pretty adaptive to yeah. like a lot of situations. Yeah. It's like we, yeah, we just got to like fit in this situation. I'm like, okay, we'll play like some places where it's like, oh, they are like super comprehensive about everything. It's like, oh, you know, like this is. Going, we're gonna mic the drums like top and bottom snare. We're gonna do this, and you guys get a huge like you know we have like a roadie crew that like will set up your, your kit for you and do everything for you. I'm like, and then we'll play like a dingy old club where they're just like, "There's the PA, figure it out." <laughs> <laughs> That's the bartender saying it. Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, it's over there. You guys play, you know, figure out you know what the door is. You guys are you know go for it." Well, one of the things um, that um, I learned a long time ago when I was in the 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 need to know about audio yeah. was that my thought was that head I mean, excuse me uh floor monitors are just there so the players can hear themselves mm-hmm. but that's not the real reason for them what they do is they cancel out the delayed sound coming from the back of the room so it doesn't screw up your timing really that's, okay uh, because when you have a floor monitor hitting you with direct sound uh, the live sound coming off the walls back there coming, depending on the size of the venue, it can actually screw up your timing because you're listening to what's coming off the wall and it's it's a delay. I can see that. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's why monitors were developed uh, to a certain degree was to help cancel that out. But you need somebody that engineers that knows how to do that without having that conflict with the front of house front sounds of house, yeah. and, and not screw up the players because they're, you know, you can mess it up with the, if you don't know what you're doing with floor monitors, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and that's one thing. The ear monitors, I guess are better because you don't get feedback uh, and you can, move, you're free to move around the stage a yeah. little more. And then know, like a lot of, yeah, degree. a lot of people in hand with that are going like complete DI route with their amp modeling and stuff like that. So they don't even have amps on stage. It's yeah, just like yeah. plug into this and this goes straight to the in-house and straight to my monitors and stuff like that. I don't know. There's, 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 there's a, a slow movement towards taking the human factor out of music. Yeah. And I think that's like a fine line too of like yeah. between digital and like you know, analog. analog and like yeah. 
the, you know, that whole aspect of it. And I guess like, you know, another question I had, I'll bring it my segue here. Okay. So like you've kind of started to embrace the digital like aspect of recording and music. I'm like, so and you've seen it change over the years. Like how have you adapted and like, you know, what have you seen the benefits of digital compared to like the old analog days? And Well, I can tell you right now, the first thing that, um, that the digital domain, now that it's matured and it's real, in the in the early days, it had zero headroom. It was nasty. If you clipped it, and you didn't have the dynamic range that the digital has now. I mean, you have 115, 120 dB dynamic range, mm. even in the digital domain, uh, where the analog domain, you know, it goes 120, 130, 140. And, and the more you drive it, the warmer and richer it sounds in the analog world. Yeah. Uh, I hated the digital domain when it first came out because it was very sterile. You had to keep it down. You didn't have the dynamics that you could, you know, and you had to make sure your levels were here and this. And so what we would do is we would marry analog and digital. Yeah. We'd use the the digital for uh, control things like uh, vocals and stuff that weren't real dynamic. Yeah. Uh, unless they were a dynamic vocal, somebody way up and down and everything. And then on the dynamic stuff like drums and bass, we'd use analog. Okay. So yeah. we could allow that dynamic range to move. Um, nowadays, they've got to a point. The most powerful thing in the digital domain is the EQing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, you can add highs without adding Yeah. No noise. And that's bitchin'. Yeah. Uh, I'm really dating myself by saying bitchin', no, okay? <laughs> and and that, that's the best part about it. Um, there are some things that I'm still getting used to, like digital compression. Um, it's not the same as uh, the old analog compression. It, it seems like it's still limited to a certain degree. Okay. Um, it's not as... Oh, user-friendly, I guess. I mean, I mean, once you get to know it, I've gotten better at using the digital compression, um, but the old analog compression just seemed... And the, here's the interesting thing, segueing back. Yeah. I constantly am getting, uh, you know, advertisement from PreSonus and other companies about this movement back to analog, but it's processed analog out of digital. So yeah. you get a digital software package that emulates the old analog sound. Yeah. Which is hilarious, I think, you know, in a way. It's kind of funny. I, yeah, you know? that's like a huge thing with like universal audio. Like they're selling points. It's like, yeah. hey, you know, you get all like these old like, you know, um, old like what, like 87 compressors, stuff like that. Right. And it's like, but on your DAW. And right. It's like, exactly. oh, you can get like a, you know, Marshall but in your DAW mm-hmm. and you just plug into the universal audio interface and stuff like that. It's nice because it still is in the digital domain. So you don't have the noise, mm-hmm. but they also actually have the ability to add noise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious to me. I mean, okay, let's add, let's add that old that white noise, that white noise, yeah, or that pop like... and crack on the record that used to drive us nuts. You know, yeah. Let's put it back in there. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like even companies like uh, Line Six. They have like a wireless unit th- type thing. That it's like it's digital, and it is like kind of so. It's like you know, it's a pretty good solid unit. But they have like a setting that we you can dial in cable length. 
Yeah. It, you know, it's like, oh, do you want to emulate a 20-foot yeah. so cable or a 30-foot? Atten- yeah, you attenuate the high mids. Yeah, and so are, starts, like, you know, that, I mean, that you lose with a cable. Exactly. I'm like, put a 500-foot <laughs> yeah, cable. Like, well, yeah, I'm exactly. like, people are getting back to like, oh, I want it digital, but I want it to sound like it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> hilarious. You know, I mean, uh, in, in some ways, I mean, it's great. It just shows you the power. Mm-hmm. But um, your original question is, how have I embraced the digital domain? The, the biggest thing is, and we still have a little difficulty with dealing with what you call headroom. Yeah. Um, I'm always monitoring my levels. And uh, you don't really have to as long as you stay away from OVU. You stay away from OVU and you're okay in the digital domain. You get past it, then you start worrying about, uh, you know, clipping. And digital clipping is nasty. It's not forgiving. Yeah. It's very noticeable. But uh, it... Because I still I'm coming from the analog world, and I still think I always worry about that, and I'm always going, wait a minute, I'm driving that channel a little too hard. Um, that and the um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh well, the, it, I, uh, you know it's it's basically uh, oh tape hiss. Oh yeah. In okay. the old days, even with a twenty four track, really good two inch tape recorder with a whole rack of Dolby, uh, you know what were they Dolby C's or D's or R's or M's? I don't remember. <laughs> One so of the alphabets. Ago, but, but, uh, it, every time you record another track, you're adding the hiss. Yeah. So by the time you're done with 24 tracks and when you're doing a mix down, you got a shitload of tape hiss. Mm-hmm. When we first started doing this using studio one, it was like watching HD for the first time. <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden we're going, where's the there's no noise there's no noise and yeah. and that was the most incredible thing yeah that you know and 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 you can just stack and stack and you can take a track that's recorded and move it over here and you can add to it and you can you like kind of like punching in is so much easier and stuff yeah, like that yeah. and doing. well there there goes that's the one thing i would say that i don't agree with but it's it's a great tool it's powerful uh, the studio one or the pro tools editing capability is amazing. And I hear this too much from too many people fix it in the mix. Mm. I, I don't like that. Uh, that's, um, to me, that's taken an easy way out. Uh, we always took the attitude. First of all, you, it's real hard to cut a 24 track, two inch tape and edit it. Yeah. So we always, you know, we're serious about like trying better, to do you, the best track you can. You better be serious and yeah. get it right. And, and lay it down. And I've had people come in and say, oh, that's good enough. We'll fix it in the mix. We'll stretch it and get the timing right. And we'll set it so it starts. Yeah, and just go, do it right the first time. Yeah. And, and my, my feeling is, well, why don't you just go back and do it again? I'm like, well, why? Why Why should I? We'll just fix it later. And um, that's probably the most difficult thing I have yeah. with people coming in and saying, well, last studio I was in, I, I I was singing out a pitch, or they, my timing was off, and they just fixed it in the yeah, mix. Yeah, we can just quantize it, or you yeah. know, beat detect the drums, and that's that's one thing too. Um, we do a lot of our recording like like a home, you know, type of studio type thing, and um, but we kind of try and marry the analog and digital feel. Like I, I kind of use my Pro Tools as almost like a four track, gl- like glorified easy four track. I'm like, we want to get our parts right. And I want to just be able to just put it into a computer so I can take it back to the studio to mix. And when we record our drums, uh, the guy, he's, you know, 
he's a guy similar where he like he started back in the 80s and he was like everything to tape and doing stuff like that and he's like kind of marrying like analog and digital at the same time like he has you know a little bit more outboard gear so they can be you know get the sound and tones stuff stuff like that but when we record drums with him he's like a drummer first and then an engineer also and so when we record with drummers there he's like um let's do it again let's do it again he's like you can do better he's like no you 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 almost had it let's do it again and so like drummers they you know he's you know says it well enough that they're like oh yeah confidently like i'm gonna Mm -hmm. do this better you know where some people are like yeah no that's good give me a minute and then he's just like playing like tetris on his computer almost and just moving things into place i'm like oh yeah we're good to go i'm just gonna edit this for you and then like but i'm like you're taking the human element out of it i'm like if he's a little bit behind you know he's got the backbeat a little bit but he's still kind of around the click i'm like that's fine because like he's a human playing drums yeah yeah and and, and i like that i like it um that okay you have a couple rhythm guitars playing and you put them in uh, panoramic and stereo one's the left one's the right or partially left or right like hard pan and and you're and and so a strum is behind the other strum that doesn't mean it's wrong it's just human yeah, I yeah. mean, and, and I like that sound, but some people say, no, they got to be right on top of each other all the time. And I go, that's good. That's a great attitude, but that's not necessary. There's a big difference between literally being out of time and yeah, yeah. having a human <laughs> feel in a song. Like you know? either, you, yeah, you fucked it up and it's like, yeah, you know, you better do that again, buddy. I mean, our <laughs> <Yeah>. guitarist, Mike, <laughs> is a fanatic. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, Ron and I are insistent that we try to get it right. But sometimes he'll do 50, 60 takes on one riff uh, that's that's four or five bars long. Yeah. And, I mean, at some point we're saying, Mike, that was bitching. No, no, I got to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> and and so we've actually literally moved to different tracks and saved the take because we thought it was bitching. Yeah, you're like, yeah, like we're just going to save this and Yeah, and we'll, let put him it, go. we'll put your other thing on another track. And because sometimes we come back and sit down to listen to it the next day or a week later, and he'll go, oh, I like that one better. And I go, well, that's the one we thought Yeah, we, we told better. you about. <laughs> but then sometimes he'll say, you know, they both sounds good, but this one's better. But but that, to me, is kind of, uh, they used to, Guitar Center used to do a thing on uh, HBO. It was like Channel 500, and they yeah. did sessions. Yeah, yeah, okay. And they'd have artists from the past, current artists, and it was recorded up in a... a, a I think it was a Hollywood yeah, guitar center. okay. Yeah. And Joe Walsh did one. Mm-hmm. And I watched it, and it was very fascinating listening to him because they interview him in between. And I can't remember the guy's name that interviewed, but he asked great questions, what the fellow's name was, the, the I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. Anyway, he, um, he got to talking to Joe Walsh about... Um, musicians today versus musicians you know like joe walsh who grew up with the eagles and uh in his band and stuff like that and he said he, he made a comment about um that music today you can go out and you can take a a a, a lead riff a bass run uh a vocal background this and that and the other from anybody anywhere and put it together and make your own song and he says i guess that's a form of art people that don't even understand the first thing about notes and music or rhythms or anything can make music or make sound, put sound together by stealing other people's stuff. Yeah. And, and he says, I guess that's a form of art and it is a form of art, but it's not. And he says, what I'm worried is we're headed towards this thing where real musicians are going to be gone and you're going to have these, you know, artificial people 
making yeah, music. Like you're, like you're, well, you, you already know. have DJs that do stuff like that. Yeah. It's like you're cheapening you know? the human element of it. So yeah, you're making exactly. it like, oh, it's a commodity. Whatever. Yeah. They're there. Whereas it's like, embrace the fact that this person is, you know, this human being is creating something. You know, yeah, make music, it a, music is from your soul. Music is something that comes from inside of you and all the digital electronics in the world are not human, you know. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't begrudge people doing that. It's, I guess it's another form of art, yeah, in, in a way, but it's not real musicianship to me. Yeah, if yeah, it, we've covered something before, um, I think backing tracks. Yeah, which I'm, I don't like. That's going know. out and getting somebody else's tracks and putting well, them on. It's your... like you record. Let's say you record your own guitar, and then you have your own performance later, and then you play that recorded guitar and you play with it or you sing with it. Or, oh, okay. So, yeah. I. I'm not a big fan. Of oh, it. okay. It's I like just say it's, get someone else to play that. Okay, it's like you know? it's like uh, creating uh, uh, you know back. Uh, um, it's like creating musicians to have for yeah, you playing uh, through when, the PA. It's when, like uh, not uh, having to deal with BS of having someone else in your band either to pay or to deal with an attitude. I don't know. It's I remember, cheaper, yeah, I remember an episode of Saturday Night Live. James Taylor was on there, and he had done the the, the White Album with Shower the People, mm-hmm. one of his <laughs> one of his big hits. Yeah, and he actually had a a two track uh, uh, mastering open reel uh, reel to reel sitting right next to him, and he's sitting there playing the guitar. And uh, when it would go to the chorus, he'd hit a foot switch and it'd start rolling and all the shower the people would love you. It was in the background playing on this tape. Mm-hmm. And then he would stop it and go back into his part. And that, I guess that's a, a, a version of a backing track kind yeah, of thing, I guess. Yeah. You know, but that was a long time ago back yeah. in the, you know, I mean, seeing an open reel to reel go. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you but, think about that? Do you think that's like a, well, uh, I mean, it was the same thing with like going the digital way losing musicians and stuff well like that. i mean in a case like james taylor it was um how how big it was like he did a session on uh on um uh, guitar center uh-huh. and he he had a group of musicians and he had this black fella that had a voice that to die for Mm-hmm. His voice was just the sweetest bitchinest voice I'd ever heard, and he was doing the uh, the the answer backs uh, singing. You know, the rain uh, falls, and you know, at the end of that song, as it's rolling and, mm-hmm. and fading out, he's doing all these backing uh, back vocals. Well, he had a whole band with him there, and and I thought this is the way it should be. Now, when he did this at Saturday Night Live, I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was technically. I thought this is bitching. Yeah. Now, what he did technically, I never gave it a thought that it was a cheating way to do it. I just thought it was, um, but he's the kind of musician that could do that, but then go do a live concert with a group of people and yeah. do it right. So uh, I never judged it there. Mm-hmm. What 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 I, and I don't like to judge musicians. I mean, it's not good to judge that's anybody. That's my favorite thing to do. Is it? Yeah. Judge people? Yeah, yeah. That's great. Kyle will take that over for you. Okay, good. <laughs> anyway, um, it's 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 a difficult thing. For people to do that as a, as a crutch, I disagree with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. To do it as an artistic okay. thing in, in, in a way, I guess. In other words, uh, I, I guess you could say the same thing. I wrote a song for my daughter for her wedding. Mm-hmm. And it basically is pretty mushy, but it was really cool. It was acoustic guitars, finger picking, and everything. Mm-hmm. And and um, so, the night of the wedding, 
I had made a, a copy with just the lead vocal out. And okay. so I sang the lead vocal, but my harmonies yeah. and, and the whole song was done playing yeah. behind me. And it was karaoke. Kind yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. It was karaoke, but it was my song and I recorded it and I did the whole thing and I sang the song. So, so in a sense, I could say, well, you know, you cheated, you played karaoke. And I go, well. Well, yeah, but you did everything, so. <laughs> I did it all. Matter of fact, before I sang the song, I wanted to, I mentioned to him, I said, I wrote this song for my daughter because um, when she was little, she loved uh, Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. And so you'll understand the lyrics a little better with the fact that Andrea, when she was two years old, when Winnie the Pooh would come on, she'd get up and run around the coffee table and run around the family room with Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Cuddle, Little Bear, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so you'll understand the lyrics. Um, I lost my train of thought. That's what happens when you get old. So <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, I, um, I, uh, Wow! Yeah, you you, you, were, you had the backing track. You had the song that you recorded. <laughs> oh well, that's weird, guys. I uh, don't. That ever happened to you? you ever, uh, your yeah, brain just time. go dead. Yeah, yeah, it happens, happens a lot. We we get it a lot when surprise hasn't happened to me. <laughs> we're doing today, this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was explaining uh, to the group, and I said, and I just want you to know, this is no Manella Vanelli or Manelli Vanelli or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. I actually girl, did all this it, stuff. Girl, you know it. Yeah, <laughs> I actually did all this stuff. You know, in the studio. So. But, All right, uh, but anyway, that's what I was the point I was getting at. There's, there's, there's a difference. There's a difference using it as a tool, uh, and, and being able to go out and show the beauty of the song, you know, by doing it something like that instead of trying to have a whole live band. Yeah, you know, I think point. though, yours is different. You're not trying to fool people. I've seen it where it's like they blend it in and it makes it sound like, but you're like, there's another guitar in there. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You have like, that's, I call that a crutch. I yeah. call that as a, and I, you know, I, you I know. say, you know, when you're recording in the studio, you can kind of go crazy. You know, you still want to be able to replicate that live, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like stage wise, you might as well just get someone else to perform that. Yeah. Well, you know, at this point in time, we're not really playing live. And I'm telling you, guys, I'm starting to miss it. I really am. Yeah. I'm starting to miss playing in front of people because you know this. You see it on a basis every time you play on good nights. On the yeah. bad nights, you don't want to be there. I don't, yeah. I don't know how many bad nights you have. but <laughs> We got but our when, fair share. But when the audience responds, there's no bigger rush on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No drug, no alcohol, no nothing can replace that rush when you get a group of people that are in tune with you because you just made them feel that good because mm. it comes right back at you. And that's a difficult thing to explain to anybody until you've felt it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, but that's another world there, too. You guys are right in the middle of it, so. All right, so we wanted to, uh, you know, kind of end it out with like a little, little topic, little maybe a roundtable, like maybe some stories, if, if anybody has this. So I wanted to talk about some funny or aggravating, interesting Craigslist, eBay stories. Like maybe you were selling some gear, or you were buying some gear, and you had to deal with those wacko weirdos out there in yeah, the something world. Something that made you lose like faith in mankind, kind of thing, <laughs> or like a funny one. So maybe <laughs> if we want to go around, if anybody's got one, uh, who wants to go first? You want to go? Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be about gear. It could be about like yeah, you know well, car I, parts, I don't really... motorcycle parts, whatever you got. <laughs> Kyle's a, he's a no. I mean, he's turning it around. I don't really have. I mean, I, if someone starts acting fishy, I just don't meet up with them. You have like people who like send you these weird emails, and you're like, "Yeah, I just straight don't to the trash with that one." Yeah, <laughs> so I I just kind of 
I don't even waste my time with stuff like that. So no, nothing interesting from me. <laughs> You're not I've, an I've interesting guys, guy, Kyle. You're just no. I've had, I've had no stories. I've sold like car fenders before. And car fenders. Have you ever bought anything weird off of Craigslist? Like a car fender is pretty weird, man. Yeah. Well, I've <laughs> How sold... do you pack that up and ship it? No. I <laughs> well, on uh, I've so on Craigslist, I've I've sold stuff before in really good shape, and you know they sh- the guy drives all the way from like Orange County, and then like oh, there's a nick on this. Are you gonna buy this or what? You just drove. You just proved to me that you're gonna buy this, and now you're gonna. I'm like no. He I'm comes like, down firm, the tire and, kick. Yeah. I'm like if I. Yeah. Exactly. And they were, you know, I think it was like 250 bucks for a, it was like a 1964 Chevelle Fender. And the guy was like, I'm like, no, it's either you take it now. It's in the back of my, back of my El Camino. I'm like, it's staying here. Or you're taking it. I don't care. Did so he, he buy it? He bought it. Okay. And then he called me later. Like he wanted, I guess, I don't know. He, he called me. I didn't even pick up. I didn't <laughs> like pick he up. Already like, has no, it. You already, already have the money. I'm like, yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Did you want to buy the other one? That's not what you said though. So I'm not, I didn't pick up. Yeah. I've had someone drive from, I don't know, maybe a 200 miles for a piece of uh, f- uh, molding on the side of also, a, I think, that same fender. And then I'm like, well, I have another one. I'll just give it to you. No, we don't want it. I'm like, no, but I'll just give you this other piece. You drove, you know, you spent $30 on this thing. I'll just give you the other one. No, we don't want it. My dog <laughs> destroyed it. I'm like, well, your dog's going to destroy this one again. Just kidding. <laughs> no. I'm like, okay. They didn't want. They still have it. Some people have no ability yeah. to visualize a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I guess is one way. You know, this leads right into what happened to me. One of the dumbest things I ever did was when I, I at one point when we moved up here from down below, uh, down San Diego, I had a an analog studio down there in San Diego. You've mm-hmm. seen the picture up on the wall there. Mm-hmm. And of course, when we sold the place there, I had to dismantle it and tear it down. Yeah. Um, when we got up here, um, I basically got a, a brick wall from my wife as far as building another recording studio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it took about 20 years, 15 <laughs> years to be able to build this studio, but I finally got it. But in the meantime, we turned my, our office in the house into my, pseudo studio and it was right when the digital domain was starting to come along and the digital uh tascam digital 24 track rack mount recorder yeah and the digital console uh with the auto sliders and all that stuff and everything but it was incredibly difficult to operate it was page after page you had to go down four or five pages to uh set the sliders and then if you had more than 24 coming back you had to have 24 and then you had to switch to the other 24 and it was very difficult to manage it i didn't like it yeah so um i sold it yeah sold all the gear and the dumbest thing i ever did was sold my analog uh, tape my multi-track um because at the point of when i was switching over to the digital the uh uh ampex and scotch they were dropping the lines of their analog tape yeah. And so it was hard to get the tape. So, but then after I sold this multi track recorder, they started doing the taping in because there was such a demand out there. Yeah. And that's when they were doing uh, mirroring the analog and the digital, uh, like I said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sold all my mics. Well, I had two Neumann KM84s. Ooh. Yeah. And a <laughs> U89, uh, which is a little brother to the U87. Yeah, yeah. What a dumbass. <laughs> I sold those. But the two KM84s, you know, the little pencil mics, were beautiful mics. But one of the the KM, uh, the Neumann little red triangle was missing. 
Mm-hmm. But the mics were in perfect condition. Which and is I, like a cosmetic yeah, thing. Yeah. And, and, and I told everybody that when I put them on um, eBay. Yeah. I put them on eBay and I said, They're, they function perfect. I guarantee them if they don't, you know, uh, I'll, uh, you know, I'll refund and you can send them back. But they're, and it had, are they in perfect condition? Do they have nicks and bangs or anything like that? And I, you know, I was very honest. I said, they're nicked a little bit. Yeah. One's missing the logo. Yeah. But they work perfect. I still have the clips. I still have everything. I even have the documentation and the waveform yeah. sheets that come with the Neumanns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this guy bought them, and I shipped them off to him. He calls me up and is raising hell with me, saying, one of these really doesn't look that good. And I go, do you remember me telling you that these microphones are almost 20 years old? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think a 20-year-old microphone is going to look like even if it's in a studio and it's used day to day, it's not, it functions perfect. It's a beautiful mic, but it's, and it's missing the logo. And he was all upset. And I think he was fishing for me to give him a discount or give him some money back. Of course. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know, I, I, I it was just aggravating to me because I thought this guy is so shallow. Yeah. It's know, always that like he, that he would complain about something like that when he has these two beautiful vintage microphones that he probably still has, or he sold them to somebody and uh, was dishonest with them, like I was. You know, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? But there's there's my uh, selling story. Uh, it always, like, can be aggravating. Yeah. All right, so I'll cap it off with uh, my story. So I was selling on Craigslist. Just some. Aren't you worried about getting murdered? Oh, no, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that would be you the least of my the least of my worries time. with this this story. <laughs> no, it wasn't so bad. So it was, it was more funny because like the. I was selling some drum hardware. I had like some extra, like, you know, like a uh, hi-hat stand, snare stand. And this guy, you know, he wanted to buy them and he, you know, I had them at a certain price. He's like, okay, I'll buy these together. I'm like, okay, well, I'll give you, cause you're buying both of them. I'll give you a, you know, discounted price. I can't, it was like, you know, instead of 200 bucks, it's like 180 bucks or something like that. And then the guy is like, oh, you know, I'm already have them, you know, on my way there. And the guy texts me, he's like, hey dude, um, you know, cause I'm, he's like, since you're meeting me at my work, you know, um, would you be cool with like taking like ten dollars off, and um, I could just like make you dinner? And I'm like, because <laughs> he worked at like a Thai curry place, and I was like at a point where I was all like, "What you doing later?" Yeah, because I was like, at a point where I was like, "God, this piece of shit, are you kidding me?" I'm like, you know what? Won't even throw in a beer. And I was like, you know what? It's yeah, it's about you know seven o'clock. I am kind of hungry, and I was like. You got it, buddy. <laughs> He's like, "What do you want?" And I'm like, I'll, "I'll make you two pieces of naan bread, and I'll make you a curry. Do you like it spicy?" I'm like, "You damn right, I like it spicy. You better make that spicy." And I listed all the stuff that I wanted and texted him, and he's like, "I got it. I'll have it ready for you, man." So I met him in like behind his work, which was at some restaurant. He comes out with like this like bag of like you know takeout food and like the cash, and I give him like the, it was the most awkward transaction. I gave him the you know hardware, and he's like, "All right, thanks, man. I'm really gonna enjoy these." I'm like, "Well, I'll enjoy." this thanks man it was like the most awkward thing i'm like he like lowballed my ass for food i'm like in my fat ass i'm like yeah Good i'll, thing ta- he didn't I'll, I'll g- take that give you your asking price in food yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> i'll give you dinners yeah. for like the next like 20 I mean, days it, to me 10 bucks isn't even worth the uh the hassle of creating any kind of animosity yeah, i mean you know true i mean if he would have said oh, can you knock off 40 or 50 now that's it but 10 bucks that's not even worth i, I mean you know? you know i mean i guess yeah. 10 bucks for you know i guess the guy bucks. working at a curry store and yeah. maybe maybe it is a lot of money <laughs> and i was like yeah you know what and i was like i was kind of i was at first like pissed i'm like God, you're gonna lowball my ass when I'm already on my way, 
Yeah. We already agreed go. on this. Yeah. And then I'm like, instantly flipped. I'm like, yeah, I want some curry for <laughs> dinner. <laughs> you better make that. Was it, by the way, was it good? Oh, it was great. Okay, oh, good. It was, good. It, was good. it was definitely worth it. You so weren't worried about him spitting in it or yeah. anything. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it just had texture. He's, he's just like, oh. Like, that would be like the, like, he's like, I'm going to knock his ass down and spit in his food. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it, he was like happy to have the stuff. And I was like, one, to get rid of it, get some money. And then I was like, yeah, I'll take some food. So yeah, might as well. And I was like, it was a funny story. Nothing like bad happened. But to me, I'm like, who does that? It was like, yeah, can I give you dinner for like 10 bucks off? I'm like, I've yeah. never heard of anybody barter like that for something <laughs> like food. I mean, I've gotten like you know. a, a tattoo offers. I'm like, yeah, if you're giving away free tattoos or stuff like that, I don't want your tattoos. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, I've never, I've never heard of anybody bartering for cooked food. That's, that's a strange one. Yeah. That's so, a strange one. I mean, <laughs> you know, not that I, you know, have anything bad to say, but I'm like, if that becomes a trend, it better be good. Yeah. Good food. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you better be hungry too. Right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, I think we're gonna have like a a track at the end that we're gonna you know spin for okay. for the for the beautiful people here. Uh, I just want to say you know thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having us in your studio. Thank you. It's oh, a lot of fun. It's, it's been fun. I love to I love to talk to people. You guys had some interesting stories. So yeah, we like to talk them. shit and we like to talk gear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. Shit and gear. Yeah. Your gear and shit. Either yeah. what whatever whatever order fits, right? Yeah. So uh yeah, I had a lot of, a lot of fun, you know, just chatting it up and I'm, you know, glad that you would have us. And I'm oh, you know. Absolutely. So Absolutely. thanks for letting us into your secret location. Yeah, your, Absolutely. Your, your underground your, studio. Your, your secret right. layer here. With uh, fallout shelter doors and yeah. all kinds of stuff. <laughs> you can't so. find it. Don't look for it. Yeah. yeah. Don't look for it. Don't look yeah. for it. Invitation only. Yeah. <laughs> Invitation only. Right. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And I want you guys, if you have the time, uh, you know, leave a review. Tell us what you think. And be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Until next time. Thank you. She's the same girl I've been wooing now For 18 years come the summer She says she would gladly marry me If I wasn't such a bummer She don't want me She keeps telling me not now I'll keep on waiting Cause I need her anyhow Built a cabin on the lower 40 It's been done since last September I keep telling her to come and see But she can't see
Telling me 